people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, you may be seated. Good morning, Rez. Happy third week of Epiphany. (laughs) Okay, so you know how our sermons will often begin with a particular piece of scripture that we're going to focus on, like I just did a second ago? Well, I half-jokingly wanted to just begin with the word repent, but I thought that wouldn't go over so well, so. (laughs) Um, I know for myself, and probably many others, repent as a standalone word. It can stir up feelings of anxiety or shame. I mean, stop and feel it in your body for just a second. How does that word land on you? Repent. But Jesus didn't use it as a standalone word. So I want to take some time this morning unpacking it in the context of Jesus' declaration that the kingdom of heaven had come near. The word used by Matthew here for repent was the Greek word metanoia. Jesus uses it in the present active imperative form, which means it's not just a one-time action, but it's expected to be an ongoing process. The root of the word means submission or change of heart or mind. So it's less about the resolve to do something different or the decision to submit, and it's more about the actual act of submission or the actual change of heart. How many times have we been at low points in our lives and we've resolved to read our Bibles more or to spend money less compulsively and we come up with a plan how we're going to do better? But as soon as we resolve to do it and commit to the plan, there's a sense of of relief. Metanoia, however, is more about surrender than it is about control. Coming up with a plan to get us out of the low point, it's our attempt at controlling the situation, but repentance looks more like a process of surrender. St. Ignatius of Loyola uses the terms consolation and desolation to describe one's movement toward or away from God. He talks about how consolation, or movement toward God, can happen in an instant, usually by an overwhelming act of grace on God's part, where he makes his presence known to us. But what I really find interesting in his teachings is the more common form of consolation, which is a longer process over a period of time. It's a process that requires reflecting back on particular moments where God felt especially near and spending time with that. And if you apply this concept to repentance, it's a process that requires reflecting back on particular moments where you reacted sinfully and taking time to dig into that moment with compassionate curiosity as to what led to that behavior or attitude to name the lies that you believed and to declare truths to combat those lies. It's a process of making peace with those you may have harmed in those moments. In essence, consolation or movement towards God is the ongoing process of metanoia. Of course, it's safe to say that for most of us, repentance is going to be uncomfortable. I mean, look at the story of the young man that went to Jesus asking how to have eternal life. The gospel according to Mark tells us that Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. See, what Jesus was asking of him felt like too much. It made him too uncomfortable. And I don't think it's too far off from what we experience today. 
our current culture actually encourages us to do whatever we need to be comfortable. And I'm all for appropriate boundaries and taking care of ourselves. That's actually really important work. But there's work to be done in the areas where we feel dis-ease. For example, confession time. (laughs) Okay, so the other day, Francine came over for dinner, and we were having pasta with Mario's homemade marinara, which is great. And Francine had brought over the fixings for an epic salad. She was putting it together. She realized she had forgotten the goat cheese at home. So Mario jumps up, (laughs) grabs some goat cheese from the fridge, and starts crumbling it and putting it in the salad. Everyone's fine and dandy, but I notice I'm stirring the marinara a little more vigorously. (laughs) Um, I'm sneaking side glances like, how much cheese is he putting in the the salad? (laughs) Guys, it's Costco cheese. It's not even like great. Who cares, right? It's Costco cheese. But it was my Costco cheese. I got it for my school lunches, and it was going in the salad. I was literally having a physical reaction about how much of my Costco goat cheese Mario and Francine were going to put in the salad. And I knew it was dumb. So I told myself, just get over it. It's just cheese. But I made a mental note to come back to revisit this whole weird scenario at a later time with God. So later when I did revisit it, I was just like, okay, God, what was that all about? It's really weird. Um, And through this period of spending time together and sorting through it a bit, I realized that I had been believing a lie of scarcity, that if I wanted something nice, I had to take care of it myself, and I had to guard it and protect it. Yes, even if it's cheese. (laughs) But then I also got to spend time with God, listening for his words and invitation to me, and I was reminded that he has plans for my welfare and not my harm, plans for a hopeful future. The process of repentance is scary and embarrassing and weird, and it stretches us. But there's so much goodness to be found in who we're submitting to. One of my favorite moments from Chronicles of Narnia is when Mrs. Beaver is explaining to Lucy and Susan that they'll be going to see Aslan. And the girls are shocked to find out that Aslan is a lion and not a man. The conversation starts with Susan and goes like this. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, Daria, no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. But it gets me every time. See, repentance is only good news to us. Because it's in the context of a king who is good and is establishing his kingdom here on earth. In Matthew 4, when Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven has come near, he's saying that wherever he, the king, is, the kingdom of heaven is being established in the people and the land. The kind of kingdom it would be was prophesied by Mary in the Magnificat when she says that Jesus has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. The kind of kingdom it would be was prophesied by Zechariah in the Benedictus when he says that Jesus would give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is establishing his kingdom all around him, and he's inviting those he encounters to leave their current allegiances and to repent or metanoia and become citizens of his kingdom. 
This wasn't just hypothetical. You see it in the first disciples called by Jesus. They were likely working under contract with the Roman government to provide fish. And they gave that up to join Jesus in another kind of fishing. It's not just hypothetical for us either. Whenever we say the creeds, we are declaring our allegiance to a Trinitarian God and Christ the King. In fact, there's a particular point in the Nicene Creed when we're all invited to use our bodies in a physical act of metanoia or submission. When we get to the part, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. We bow in submission to the incarnated king. Another key place we use our bodies in a physical act of metanoia is at the Sanctus when we join with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven to declare his glory. That physical act isn't just for clergy or altar servers. We're all invited into this act of submission. One of my favorite descriptions of the kind of king we have is found in Revelation 7:17. It says, For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Did you catch that? It's a lamb on the throne. Our king became a lamb so he could shepherd us. That's one of the reasons the incarnation is so important. It's the God with us-ness that allows for the us with God. Repentance isn't done for God, it's done with God. So to go back to the whole cheese fiasco, repentance for God might have just looked like feeling bad that I had been selfish about the cheese and resolving to be more generous next time. But repentance with God lets him guide me in untangling the lies from the truth. Jesus-led repentance is so much richer. As we move into our time of reflection, I want to open up space for a form of bodily prayer that I find helpful in the process of repentance. It's called palms down, palms up. In this prayer, you extend your hands, palms down. You can rest them on your lap or hold them extended, whatever feels right for you. And you'll begin to have a conversation with God. With palms down, you can tell God about what's giving you fear or anxiety or about a particular relationship you're struggling with. Maybe a compulsive habit you feel has control in your life. Whatever it is, you're going to gather it up and release it to Jesus. Tell him honestly what you want and release it to him. I sometimes like to hold my fist clenched up as I'm naming what it is that I want to release. And then when I'm done naming it, I open my hands and release. Then you flip your hands over in a posture of receiving. Ask God what it is that he has to say to you. Allow him to take what is disordered from you and to give it back rightly ordered. And spend time with that. Don't rush it. Don't rush to hear an answer. Let Jesus speak how he will. You may find that what he responds with will stir up new anxieties. Or, yeah, but what about this? Let those responses come freely. And gather it all up with your palms down again, and release that. Then palms up to receive. I sometimes go back and forth with this for a while. (laughs) So let's try this together now. I invite you to get into a comfortable posture. Close your eyes if that helps. Take a few deep breaths. As you inhale, hold the name Emmanuel. And as you exhale, remind yourself that God is with us. You can do that now.
In your mind, find a safe place to be with God. It could be walking alongside a creek, alone in a dark room, swinging in a hammock. Take a moment to find that safe space. With palms down, begin to unburden yourself to Jesus. Tell him where you've messed up, where you feel you need to change. When you're ready, listen for Jesus' response with palms up. 